Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Warning. The following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spook. Girls, true crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you Hey there, Spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I'm joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey, Spooksters. Today we are starting a new documentary I saw on HBO Max a while ago, and I was like, Tara, we must do this. And she was like, cool, let's do it. So we're going to go ahead and start diving in. It is called The Lost Women of Highway 20. Kind of just like a general understanding. This takes place in Oregon along like a kind of a specific route of Highway 20. I don't know how long Highway 20 is per se, but all of the kind of like main events are going to happen off of this. It is a three-part series, so we will be doing three episodes. So three recaps. So let's get into it. The episode kind of starts and it's talking about this kind of like small ass town in Oregon. They call it the junction, but it's like Centia, Centimi. I don't know how to say it because <laughs> they just keep calling it the junction. And I'm like, okay, someone needs to say that word. But it's a 13 year old girl. Her name is Rashonda. She grows up in this like small town and she goes missing. An interesting thought is that her mom thought she had to wait 24 hours before she reported her missing. And I know a lot of you have just grasped at pearls. Mm-hmm. Even the fucking 911 operator was like, why did you wait? Right. Because they were like, what time? What was the last time you saw her? And they were like, 8.30 a.m. yesterday. And she's like, yesterday? And then she's like, well, we thought she was at the neighbors, which I can see is like a valid thing. Like, and this is this is taking place in 1990. So it's a small ass community where everyone knows everyone. So, you know, maybe like I know my parents would be like, oh, she just ran to the neighbor's house. It's no big deal. Then when she didn't come home that evening and they couldn't find her, they waited till like 8.30 the next morning to call or a little after 8.30. And the 911 dispatcher had to tell her like, no, there's zero time limit for children. Like you can call it the second they're missing. Because we know that like statistics show that you have to really have to start looking for them within the first 48 hours. Yeah. For any kind of hope of reunion recovery. 
Roshana was 13, and she kind of had an interesting summer. So she has a brother. By the way, I looked it up while you were talking. So Highway 20 is 3,365 miles. Damn, that's a long highway. The documentary kind of starts off and it talks about like the family. So Linda is the mother and she marries a man by the name of Steve, Steve Pickle. And Tara and I were talking about the fact that they didn't name their their kid. Neither one of them are named Tommy. Well, I don't think Rugrats existed yet. No, not for them. (laughs) (laughs) For us, yes. We're like, hindsight's 2020. Why didn't you do this? Right. (laughs) So Steve and Linda, they get married really young and they have two kids like right away. Her brother Byron describes her as being like fun and upbeat. Like just basically like he said she was really fashionable. You know, she was really into like the 80s pop music because she's, you know, she's a 13 year old girl, even though she lives in this little tiny town in the middle of nowhere. She's still like up on the fashion. She's still doing her thing. But Steve and Linda would not be long. They would not last long. And Steve is not a good guy. I'm just going to point this out. No. Apparently nobody in these small towns in Oregon, like the way that these girls talked, because you're going to meet some of her friends. And it's all just to let you know, this is the trigger warning for this episode. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of sexual assault on minors. It's a lot of incest as well. When we talk about like the sexual assault, uh, a lot of it has to do with like family members. Sometimes it is step, a lot of grooming. So if this is not for you, these are triggers. We totally understand. Your mental health is the number one priority for us. So basically, Rashonda is just like, you know, she's got a couple really good girlfriends. She's really close with her cousin, Jennifer. They kind of have this nice little support system. Steve and Linda have broken up and Linda is, you know, she's a single mom who works two jobs. She meets this guy by the name of John, John Akron. So basically she meets John when Byron, I think is about seven and Rashonda is about six. And they kind of like John and Linda fall in love and Linda's whole family like loves him. They're like, oh my God, he had literally, I don't mean to belittle anyone with this, but they were like, he is the most amazing man ever. He has a high school diploma and he can read. And I was like, oh, the bar is so very, very low for this family. So like Steve and Linda divorce. Linda marries John, and now they're a little bit more financially stable. Byron would say that John was a little heavy-handed in his discipline. So on Byron's side, he thought John was just this great guy. My heart breaks for Byron because he's like such like an older brother who's just like, oh my God, my sister. Yeah. And when he's describing meeting John and like John gave him $5, he's like, that's the most money at that time he'd ever held. So John came in and was like made them financially stable, which gave Linda, you know, a nice place to like raise her kids and whatnot. They kind of lost touch with Steve and Steve had moved to Medford. And when Byron and Rashonda were like 14 and 13 or like basically 13, 12, they reached out and started contacting. Linda was pissed about it, but they were like, okay, fine. This is your dad. So in the summer when they're 14 and 13, they go and stay with Steve and they seem to be having a good time. It sounds like they kind of lived in a like a modular home park where like Byron says there was like a bunch of people who were their age. So they were, you know, they were able to like play with kids and have a good time and really just be able to like spend time with their dad. Byron remembers there was a lot of like inappropriate comments being made all the time. I guess one time they all wanted to go play like 
hide and seek. And Steve was like, oh, you guys are just making an excuse to go have sex with people. And like Byron was like, I wasn't even thinking that. And so it was really weird. And I guess Steve like started yelling at Rashonda, like that she was like quoting the documentary that she was acting like a whore. And that's got to be hard, especially like if you've just reconnected with like a biological parent and they're, you know, chastising you in such like a way that's not only is it like you're being disciplined, but also like you're just your character is being cut really deep. Exactly. Yeah. So Rashonda was like, I don't want to be here anymore. And she like called Linda and John and she goes home. Byron says like he went out to say goodbye to her and like waved her in the truck. But she was like already in the truck. So he didn't get a chance to say goodbye, like hug her or anything. And unfortunately for Byron, this would be his last time seeing her. Rashonda goes home and Linda describes her as being kind of depressed, a little just not really herself. And, you know, she even asked her mom, like, do you have to go to work type thing? It was kind of heartbreaking. And then the whole 24 hours thing happened where, like, basically John and Linda leave for work. And that's the last time they say that they've seen her. And then she's missing. And then they notify the police. This episode is kind of split into two as well. Because once Rashonda goes missing, they start, you know, looking, they start looking for her. And I will tell you that, like, when you're watching the first episode, you're like, who the fuck is it? Is it John? Is it Steve? Who the fuck is the bad guy? Like, and they're really like playing it up because you know, a lot of times in documentaries, like somebody will be in it. Like we're going to meet, we're going to talk about the story of Kay Turner in a minute and her husband, Noel. And I'm like, oh my God, is Noel, is it Noel? You know? And then all of a sudden like Noel pops up into the documentary and you're like, oh, it's not Noel. (laughs) (laughs) I know, same. I kept like waiting for that, but yeah. Anyway, so back back to the story. Linda and John and all of them, they've started search parties. They've got the sheriff involved they got all these people involved they're looking for her an interesting thing is is byron is like i want to go the fuck home you know in his mind he's like 14 and he's hoping his sister's coming home he's like i want to be there and steve goes no nah, let's just chill let's see how this plays out red flag right and in my mind i was like "Ooh, why why are you waiting so at this point you're like who the fuck is the bad guy and then we just start kind of like looking at they start showing it on the tv like things and that brings us to a different location in Oregon by the name of Camp Sherman. Camp Sherman is a very small town. In fact, it's basically like a recreational place. There's more like seasonal occupants than there are like full-time. Really cute little store. It's the Camp Sherman store. And basically it is like the hub of this community where everyone goes. And it is owned by a man by the name of Gary Weston. And He starts off by saying like he's like home from work or whatever's happening and he's has the news on in the background and he's not really paying attention. And then he hears this voice say, I was the last person to see her alive. And that caught his attention and he looked because he had heard those words from that mouth and that tone before. And it all had to do with the disappearance of Kay Turner. So Kay Turner, she wasn't really like local to that area. She was from Eugene. She actually worked for the Planned Parenthood Association. And she came to like visit the area of Camp Sherman regularly with her husband, Noel, who I alluded to earlier in blue, that he is not her killer. It was in this year, particularly it was 1978. And it was December 24th. So Christmas Eve. Basically in Eugene at the time, people were like, 
avid runners. It's like when the running thing took off in America. So Kay had really gotten into it. Like her and her friends had really gotten into it. Kay ran like marathons. Like she was that into it. So it had been like a cold morning, but then it like warmed up and it was really nice outside. So she went out for a run and then she didn't come home. So Noel, being a concerned husband, starts looking around, can't find her, does the smart thing, which is to go to the central hub of the community and is like talking to Gary's wife. And is like, I can't find her. And Gary actually thinks he's talking about a dog. And he's like, what kind of dog do you have? And he's like, no, my wife. He's like, she went out for a run and she hasn't come back yet. Gary was like, oh my God. Literally, this town has no crime. This is like the first crime that has ever taken place in Camp Sherman. They don't even have a police force. They have like a volunteer dude, like some dude, like this is how I picture the volunteer happening is like every year I picture it very much like Stars Hollow and they're having like a community meeting yes. with like the people who mm-hmm. live there year round. The guy's name is Mark. They're like, well, Mark, you haven't volunteered for anything in a while. I think it's this time you're the you're the volunteer sheriff. And he's like, fine, I'll do it. Or no nose goes to it. And you were picked. You were voted. <laughs> you, you get to be it. I just kind of that's how I picture this community functioning. Um, But like I said, they have no police. So a woman going missing and and having no police is is a big detriment. So they call, they call the state authorities and they're like, hey, we're going to send some people out. Just get some people together and wait for us. And this was like in the afternoon. So remind you that like we've just passed December 24th. It gets dark early because it's like three days after the shortest day of the year. They're all waiting around. Gary's like, I really wanted to go out and look for her and they were like we should go out we should look and they're like no no you have to wait for us and then they they get there they're like what do we do they're like we're gonna drive around and look for her and gary's like we could have been doing that in my defense they should have just been like hey why don't you do this why don't like half of you go out looking and the half of you stay and then switch make sure there's always somebody at like your command post so they start looking for her and uh obviously it gets dark then they set up kind of like a central location um at the like restaurant that's across the street and i was like wow that restaurant must not have business but i was like oh now it's got all the business right and basically they were like looking for her and then the police were like you know what it's always the husband so they start looking into noel and actually they spend more time looking into him than they do looking for her and this kind of like irritates her friends this irritates Gary. Gary's like, fuck, why aren't we looking for this person? Basically, what ends up happening is they search all of the woods, they look everywhere, and they can't find her. And it's a dead end. And basically, the police tell Noel, no one's gonna leave. None of your friends, none of the people helping are gonna leave until you leave. You kind of need to leave. Because they just didn't have the resources. Noel's saying this, he's like crying, and I'm like, no, Noel, stay. You know, like, my six-year, my four-year-old ass is like, I'm coming. No, actually, I wasn't born because this happened in 1978. So they're trying to find anything. So Kay's friends came up with this idea. Like, what if we got, like, $1,000 together and put it up as a reward? Smart. And then maybe somebody will come forward to claim it, and maybe that person will be a suspect or the person who did it. Well, they were very smart because that's exactly what the fuck happened. Yo. I was so, I was like, wait. Go team. (laughs) Oh my God. I was like, good job, case friends. So they get a a person, a mystery person calls in and is like, hey, I just want to know if I found something, is there a reward? And basically what it is, is this man has come forward and says, hey, I found her clothes. Can I get a reward for that? And they're like, no, you can't get a reward for her fucking clothes. The reward is for finding her. And Gary's just like, what the fuck is happening? It happens to be a man by the name of John Aykroyd. What? And I was like, oh, damn. As in, 
the stepfather to Rashonda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 12 years before that, he was a suspect in a murder, but not immediately a suspect in the disappearance of his stepdaughter. I don't understand. I'm just like, that would never happen today. They would instantly know about that and know and like go up to him. Right. Like the thing we need to think about, John worked for like basically like the road crew. He was like part of a maintenance in the state of Oregon, specifically assigned to Highway 20. So that's why he was in that junction. There was a maintenance and everyone in like that community right where they lived because there was another town that was nearby. It was called Sweet Home. Apparently, according to the people who lived there, it was not so sweet because like Rashonda's friend Mindy talked about how like bad it was. And, you know, I will say that it like the police did ask the questions like, did she just do you think she just ran away? They were like, no, she's not a runner like run away. And they were like, well, her friends run away. And they're like, but not Rashonda. Like, Rashonda stays put. And they're out there looking for her. And with Kay, you know, obviously, when they go find the clothes, the clothes are just, like, laid on top of a log. Okay. Like, sprawled out. Like, it looks like someone had just taken their time and been like, let's put this here. Mm-hmm. Staged. Yeah. This documentary is so good. Like, when I watched it, like, I literally told Tara, I was like, we're going to watch the first two and then record the first two. And then I was like, no, I had to watch three. And then I cried. <laughs> And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so like good in the fact that like one, the first episode is suspenseful and you kind of get to know these people. Like you learn that like Steve, they do a really good job of like defining characters. They really build John up. They really do. They build him up as this great guy who's come in. He saved the single mom with two kids. You know, he's given them a great life. He's like all of her family loves him everyone hates the ex-husband the ex-husband shows back up in their lives and then their daughter goes missing it's very like who done it and you definitely are like oh my god it's got to be steve i can't understand like steve i'm gonna let you guys know steve didn't do it steve's behavior was so weird but then again like her cousin jennifer was like steve was like sexually assaulting her as a child and the other side of it is that john was so loving and kind to jennifer it was hard for her to reconcile that this man could have done something she talks about how it was like i think like her 16th birthday or something like that and he like picked her up and drove her to arby's which i think was a ways away like they traveled to it and you know he bought her like he told her she could order as much as she wanted she said something like she ate like four beef and cheddars and i was like oh girl so much food (laughs) i love beef and cheddars but like four would like literally destroy my life Mm -hmm. i would be like oh i can't because like i eat one beef and cheddar and i can't breathe right (laughs) and i'm like ugh. But, you know, and then he took her to, like, the drive-in and they watched a movie and, like, they, he just kind of, like, was a good guy. The community really couldn't believe this. Also, no one in the community knew about the whole Kay Turner thing. Right. Like, that's what's weird to me is, like, I get it, it was, like, the organ in the 70s, but, like, I still would think that, like, people would know. I mean, he obviously moved in it's true you know think about the time frame we talked about this in like a i don't even know what episode but like how people could have back then could just pick up and start over oh yeah we talked about this in our patreon episode. Mm-hmm. yeah i was like i just heard the saying this yeah 
I think for me when I was, because I was the one who brought that up, like I was thinking like people would move like, they would pick up their lives and move like across the country and then start over. It was like he picked up and moved 60 miles away. Yeah. It was interesting, like the clothing wise, I don't think they'd given out like the entire description of what she was wearing because they were like, we never set a sweatshirt. There was this moment. And the thing you're going to have to find is that he literally is the one who tells on himself a lot. So he says, I'm the last person to see Kay Turner alive. Like, that's what he says to Gary's wife. Like, while they're waiting for the police. (laughs) I love this part. Literally, Gary is like, okay, I'm going to call the police so they come down. And he hangs up. And then he hears him say to his wife, oh, yeah, I was the last person to see Kay Turner alive. And he picks up the phone and he's like, oh, he just said this. And they're like, coming faster. Mm -hmm. This episode, like, literally up until probably the last five minutes I was like oh my god it's Steve so yeah I am glad we're we're doing this one because it's it's a really good documentary yeah it's very interesting for sure and I just like I loved how they brought so many people like into it like Byron is a big component in this and my heart truly does break for him because in later episodes like he kind of breaks down a little bit but then it like really makes me think like he was so young like he was 14 and he must have felt so helpless right so awful yeah my mind is blown by this case um and these cases i should say but kind of is where episode one ends we will pick it back up for monday's episode yes for part two yeah okay guys we will see you then bye toodles bye